It is my joy now to introduce someone who certainly doesn't need an introduction. David McIntyre is a pastor of this church longer than any other pastor in the history of First United Methodist Church. was a very effective pastor, and he was my preacher, too. I had the privilege of not only sitting under his preaching, but uh, he also, if you had special ministry to my family when uh, Claire passed away. He not only ministered to us, but he was in charge of the worship service and brought lovely messages and uh, comfort to our family. Then God gave me another wife, and uh, he performed the marriage uh, ceremony of Patty and, and me when we were married right here, right here. And... Uh, did I pay you? <laughs> Checks in the mail, David. <laughs> but he's such a special, special person in my life, and I am honored and pleased that he would uh, come and preach for us. The whole idea of this was that we would have... Uh, former pastors of the church to participate in the worship services to show that we were yesterday, today, and now we're standing on the threshold of tomorrow. And uh, we're looking forward to that new day with Charlie Reeb coming back. So it's only uh, significantly uh, makes sense significantly for David to come and share with us the message for today. So David, come and break with us the bread of life. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Cup of coffee and we'll call it even. All right. Bill Crew is here with Christine and the Willis family, and you've been in our prayers, and it's good to see you today. I know it's been a hard time, but we're going to rejoice and celebrate Tammy's homecoming. And it must be chaplain, hospital chaplain Sunday or something like that. Brian, are you aware that Eileen and Paul and Debbie are here? They're all sitting there together. These are really important people, all that I just mentioned, because there's the folks that when you're in the hospital and you need somebody— And the nurse says, let's get the chaplain service. They're the ones that come and love you and care for you, even before your own pastor get there, and often when there is no pastor. But it's good to see all of you, and I appreciate what you do. I've always appreciated that wonderful ministry that you have. And Bob Fannin, I'm surprised to see you here after what Riley said about us. I don't know if you caught this, but... It was two Sundays ago he was talking at the 815 service about this month. He said, we're going to have Alex Shanks today, Bob Fannin next week, and David McIntyre the week after that. In other words, it's Old Preacher's Month. <laughs> but I saw Bob showed up, so I thought, well, I can, you know, just go ahead and push through that. So I'm not as old as you. You know that. I am very grateful that Riley invited us back, and what an honor it's been to be part of this stream of faith with Alex and Bob, and certainly 
uh, with Riley. And I'm really looking forward to Charlie coming. He is a wonderful person. And I know he's different than every other pastor you've had, but he is wonderful and loving, and I think you're going to have a great time with him. And I must say, Happy Father's Day. Today is the day that we honor all those men in our lives who have served in that fatherly role for us in various capacities. Of course, like you, I'm grateful for the good things that they've taught us. I remember the story of John who went to kindergarten. On the first day of kindergarten, his teacher was kind of getting an, an assessment of what John knew. He said, my father taught me how to count. Really, she said, uh, let's, let's try something. What comes after three? Four, he said. That's good. What comes after seven? Eight, he said. Well, your father really did teach you how to count, but try this one. What comes after ten? He said, that's easy. Jack, queen, king, ace. So happy Father's Day to all those fathers who taught us useful stuff. But talk about useful stuff. I want to share with you something that really is useful. We're going to turn to the book of Revelation. But to understand the text for today, I need to ask you a question. What are your priorities? What is first for you in life? Now, every one of you has something that's first. You may not acknowledge it, but you have a priority. So what is it? Is it your schedule? Is it your desires? Is it a relationship? What is number one in your life? I was thinking about that this week, and I ran across a blog by a nurse. She had shown up early to open up the doctor's office, and right behind her was this elderly gentleman who came in. He said, I'm here to get the stitches taken out of my thumb, and I have another appointment at 9 o'clock, so I need to go quickly. Now, she knew that the doctor had been delayed at the hospital, and it was probably going to take a lot longer than 9 o'clock to get him through. But she was a good nurse. She said, well, sit down, let's evaluate. And she was talking to him. She said, do you have another doctor's appointment at 9? Because we can help with that. She's, and the guy said, no. He said, actually, I go every morning at 9 o'clock to have breakfast with my wife. She has Alzheimer's. But I go every morning and have breakfast with her. The nurse was really taken by that. She said, you go every morning and have breakfast with your wife. Do you think she'll be upset if you're late today? He said, oh, no, no. He said, she hasn't known who I was for five years. He said, so it'll be okay. She was startled by that. She said, she hadn't known who you are for five years, and you still go every morning? Why do you do that? And he patted her hand, and he said, she may not know who I am but I still know who she is. When I heard that story, I thought, that's God. That is exactly what God is like, because any one of us can drift, turn away from God, follow some other path. But do you know God never forgets who you are? And God never stops loving you. As I said to you over all those years, you are inseparable from that love. And it is such a joy to know that we are loved in that way. But it's not meant to be one-sided, where I just take whatever God gives me and then go do what I want to do. The relationship, like any healthy relationship, is best when it goes both ways. So we are to love God. We're to love our neighbors and ourselves. But everything begins, the first priority, with loving God. So the question is... What happens that sometimes we drift? We drift in our commitment to the Lord, and yet God stays with us and loving us. First John reminds us that God first loves us, 
And that's how we're able to love. It's the template. It's the, the definition of what love is, is found in the way God loves us. So we're reminded that for this love to really take root and grow, we are then to love God. So what are your priorities? Is it that love for God or is it something else? Now it would seem that those of us in the church, those of us who are believers, followers of Jesus, Christians, would know what that priority is and would stay on task. And yet, people drift again and again and again. We've seen it through history. People who call themselves followers of Christ and then end up with something else being their priority. Just this last week, I was reading about Adam Greenway. Now, Adam was named by Southeast Southwestern Baptist Seminary to be their new president a number of years ago. That's a huge seminary in Texas, and it has produced a lot of pastors. But Greenway was released by the Board of Trustees. He was fired because he spent $1.5 million on himself. Personal expenses, things like an $11,000 espresso machine. It's a really nice espresso machine. I, I don't know how you go about that, but he decided it was okay to take the seminary's money to spend it on himself. He spent $60,000 on Christmas decorations for his home. This is not salary that he's using. He's taking the seminary's money that's earmarked for something else, spending it on himself, whatever he wants. $1.5 million. And the irony is they had brought him to the seminary to fix a financial problem because over 20 years, they had a deficit of $140 million, $141.5 million by the time he left. How do you do that? If I were to ask you, what do you think was Greenway's first priority? Was it Jesus? No. You know what it was. Or how about this one? I've been watching this series about Bill Gothard. I've been reading about him for a number of years. He's a conservative Christian minister who founded the Institute of Basic Life Principles. And this grew into a global enterprise. It influenced hundreds of thousands of people and garnered hundreds of millions of dollars. It was massive. Until 2015, when the Board of Trustees removed Gothard, said, you're not going to be in charge anymore. You need to stay out of the organization in light of the 34 women who have brought charges of sexual molestation and harassment against him. It's been awful. And it hadn't gone away. It's still out there festering. How does that happen? Or Let me put it this way, because I think this is the more important question. Could it happen to you, to me? Well, the short answer is yes, absolutely. It can and does happen. Scripture calls this forsaking your first love. I know it's easy to get busy, to get distracted, to lose the joy. But to what end when we forget who God is? Maybe we could say we're too busy, we're distracted, and and we'll get God in there at some point. But we're busy people. If so, we need to listen to what the Spirit is saying to us. And that's a theme when you read the book of Revelation that keeps coming back again and again. Listen to what the Spirit is saying. So I want to turn to Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, the first of seven letters to seven churches. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, that's the way it begins, 
Ephesus was a beautiful, glamorous city in the ancient world, right across the Aegean Sea from Athens, surrounded by these islands, beautiful water. I mean, you can still go there now and capture that beauty. It was the site of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Diana, Diana and Artemis. So the verse continues, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, earlier in the book of Revelation, we learn what that means. Those seven stars, they're the leaders of those seven churches. Right away, we see that God is intimately involved in the leadership of the church. That hasn't changed, by the way. The seven lampstands, those are the churches. In other words, God is among them, walking with them, holding them, loving them. And that gets very personal as you read the Gospels, because what we learn is that's the way God feels about us. This living presence of Jesus is with us all the time with love and redemption, calling us into a relationship. You are precious to the Lord. Jesus Christ cares for us, for the church, and is here with us. So that's the setting that gets started in chapter 2, but then comes this list of commendations, these good things that the church in Ephesus is doing. He lists specifically six of them. He says, first... I know your deeds. You've done good work. You're people that love to serve. Secondly, I know your hard work. These are hardworking people. In fact, the Greek word translated here as hard work means labor to the point of exhaustion. These people are not sit-around people. They work very hard. Then he says, I know your perseverance. They're steadfast people. He says, then I know your high standards. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. Fifth, that they are discerning in their faith. He says, I know that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you found them false. These are people who know their doctrine, the tenets of their faith. And then number six, you have persevered and endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. These are committed people, even when things are rough. So that sounds like a great list. Who wouldn't want that for their church? But you can hear it coming, that three-letter word, but. Let me tell you about all the good stuff. These high-achieving and high-achieving people, these people who are putting in long hours for the Lord, God's saying, I see it, I appreciate it, but there is that one problem. Now, before I mention the problem, I want you to think about this. Can you personally have every one of these traits and end up being more like the church lady than Jesus Christ. Yeah, you can. You can be so legalistic and rigid, unloving, that you miss the point. And if I were to ask you what's missing from the list, I hope you know. Love. Love is not in any of the characteristics that the Ephesians were commended for. See, sometimes Christians are guilty of doing more, trying to be better, harder working, volunteering, doing all the good things. But there's one thing that ends up being more important than all that we do. So the angel writes, voicing the mind of God, and yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. One writer says this is one of the saddest, the most poignant phrases in all of the Bible. 
You're putting in these long hours, folks. But your heart has died. And so let's go back to the question. Could it happen to you? Could it be that you've forgotten your first love? So take your own internal assessment for a moment. Do you ever find yourself pretending that you're excited about your faith, about God? Only you can answer that question. But I know what happens. Do you find yourself unmoved by worship? I mean, it's habit. Somebody may have said, come on, go with me. But does it enliven you? Does it thrill your heart? Does it pick you up, give you that strength for the days that are ahead? Maybe serving has become an exhausting activity for you. Or maybe you find yourself being resentful that nobody is noticing how hard you're working around here. There are many reasons why we can drift. But people drift. And if any of these things or others that you may be thinking about describes you, pay attention. Because it's highly possible that you have forgotten your first love. That was the Ephesian problem. But whenever a problem comes up in Scripture, there's always good news. For God is a God of redemption, of healing, of restoration, of of helping us find that right path. And their good news is here. First love can be renewed and recaptured. So let's take a look. What do we need to focus on? So that loving God first becomes our first priority. Well, priority is the key word. Marie says first. First love. And that's so important. And if we can see how much God loves us, then we're caught up in that. And then comes passion. God is saying, I see that you're involved, but where's the passion in your relationship with me? Not in the accolades, not in the things you're doing, but in the relationship. These people are working so hard that they're shortchanging their relationship with God, and you can just see the passion ebbing away. But first love, it's not just about priority, passion, but it's also about intimacy. To love someone means to be close to them. Now, you may remember the story of Mary and Martha. Find it in the Gospels. Martha's busy working in the kitchen. Mary's sitting out in the living room visiting with Jesus. Martha finally gets to the point where she's just peeved. And she says, Lord, tell Mary to get into the kitchen and help me with all of this. And Jesus says, Martha, you don't understand. Mary has chosen to spend time with me, and she has chosen better. That's the best choice, the first priority, to spend time with the Lord. Now, understand, I'm not saying jettison your hard work and just sit around loving Jesus. It's not either or, it's both and. God is not saying, forget about the good things that you do in my name. Neither should you forget what makes it all work, and that is knowing God's love. That's the glue that ties it together. Holds everything together. What did Jesus say is the first and most important command? You know it. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. All in. The first thing is to put God first. Put first things first. Love God. 
You know, the irony of this letter is that the Ephesian church was once filled with love. About four decades before Revelation was written, we read about the Ephesian church in the book of Acts. Paul spent more time at the Ephesian church than he did any other church. He lived there for a while. And in Acts chapter 20, Paul, there's this scene of Paul saying goodbye to the elders of the church, probably for the last time. He pours his heart out to them, and then we read, they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. This is a loving church. Love is flowing out of them like a river. But then 40 years later, Paul is now dead for some time. The Ephesian church has forsaken its first priority to love the Lord. This is where we are. A dead church. We don't want that to happen to you ever. To any church. So how do you recover your first love? God says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember where you were. Stop and remember the love of God. Let it just infuse your life. And then go live life. And that will, that will shape everything. Because if we put that love first, it influences everything we do as individuals and as a church. What do you think people pay attention to? The stuff you are doing or how you treat them? Who you are or what you know? Relationship trumps everything. And folks, we are to have a relationship of love. Why? Because God does not want those around us to get the impression that being a church is first about doing a lot of things. Being a Christian is about who you love, not what you do. It's about relationship. And right now, our community, our state, our nation, our world needs a whole lot more love. A lot more. In the early 1960s, how David wrote these lyrics, see if you know them. What the world needs now is, you know it. And there's a reason you know that song. Now, if you, if you were born after that, this is a history lesson for you, but a lot of us know that song. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the one thing that there's just too little love. There's not enough love. That's still true. It's been true through history. Now, how David wrote that chorus. But then no matter how many times he tried, he couldn't write the verses. He couldn't find the right words to match the chorus. So finally he set it aside in despair. A couple of years later, he wrote, he was on his way to meet with Bert Bacharach. He consulted with Bert Bacharach all the time. Bacharach wrote the music. He wrote the words. And then it hit him. This song came back to him and it hit him. This song is addressed to God. He pulled over and he started writing, Lord, we don't need another mountain. And all the lyrics flowed. When Hal David got to Bacharach's house, they just wrote it all out and it was there. They offered the song to Jackie DeShannon. She recorded the song in 1965 and it skyrocketed to the top of the charts. Of course, it was recorded by a bunch of folks. It's been used more than 220 times in film and TV shows. When Robert Kennedy was assassinated, radio stations just played that song over and over and over again. Because it's true. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. We still need it, especially today. 
God reminds us that in recapturing our first love, it's important. It's so important. In fact, what he says, listen to the Spirit, because if you have ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to you. Because to him who overcomes this draining of passion and recovering of your first love, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Faith is not about going through the motions. It's about passion and love, about loving God and loving one another. And I will tell you there's another warning behind this, because if we get so busy that we forget our first love, chances are we're forgetting every other important love as well. Our spouse, our children, our friends. You see, all of this is connected. When you put God first, when you love God, it infuses every other relationship with that same love. I've had the joy of being one of your pastors for more than 15 years now. We did some great things together. I rejoice over that. Riley's been your pastor twice. You've done magnificent things with him. Great things. And when Charlie Reed gets here, you will be doing great things with him. All of that's good, but Riley and Charlie and I will tell you. It's not about doing great things. That's not our first priority. We'll tell you that the first priority is to put God first, to love the Lord with all our mind, heart, soul, and strength. And then when we do, the great things that we do are a reflection of our first love, the Lord. So I want you to ask yourself this. What is the passion, the priority, the number one thing in your life? That's where we began, so go back to it. What's number one for you? It's not the work you do. It should be whom you love. And remembering and returning to God, to your first love, will bring you joy. You ever wonder how you get there when Scripture says that we shall have peace that goes beyond understanding, that we shall have unspeakable joy? It's when you go to God, when that becomes number one. And that priority will shake every shape everything else in your life for good. So as scripture says, if you have ears, pay attention to what God is saying. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for an honest, honest word that we need to hear. Sometimes we do drift. We become dispassionate, cold, even uncaring. But when we put you first in our lives when we stir that passion of relationship with you up, when we enter into that intimacy that comes from your grace, we are changed for the better. We want to know your love, to share your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, David. Come and have our benediction. I'm going to ask that you go stand at the door in the back so that folks can come by and greet you and um, hope your wife is she here? Is she, she was here at the earlier. So. She, oh, I figured she didn't come all. The, She's know. home getting lunch ready oh, for me. Okay. <laughs> it's Father's Day. Yeah, yes, that's Father's right. Day. Good, good deal. Well, I was going to ask her to stand with you, but I'll I'll go out with you then okay. and stand out there. With you. I don't want you to be by yourself, pal. Thanks. God bless you, David. We love you. You what?
No, he doesn't. <laughs> Thank I'm, you, David. I'm not going to let you be a substitute for my wife, but I'd be honored to have you stand with me. <laughs> Count on it, pal. Right. I'm right here. Thank you. I do want to thank Riley for his kindness, uh, inviting me. And Bob, I know you and Alex feel the same way. It's not often that a pastor will give up their pulpit, but he is very gracious and kind. He's always been that way. And I'm so grateful that he has served you. And I know he has served you well. So, Riley, thank you. Okay. (laughs) Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, who is able to present you faultless before the throne of Almighty God with exceeding joy, Unto him be dominion, majesty, and honor, both now and forevermore. Brothers and sisters, go in peace and go in love. Amen.